Well, good evening, everybody. Um, like Greg said, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brooks Work, and I've spent the past year, past 10 months, in an intern in residence underneath Kevin and Aaron, and been on staff with the college ministry directly. And so, as the majority of our staff is headed to the Southern Baptist Convention today, Brother Al has given me the privilege to preach to you tonight, um, and I am honored to be able to bring God's Word before you this evening. And so with that in mind, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3, and we'll read verses 22 through 23 as we seek to understand, great is thy faithfulness uh, through these verses, and look at God's great faithfulness to us, the story of God's faithfulness to uh, the Benjamin family, as we just heard from Adam, and the story of God's faithfulness to each and every one of us. And so I plan to look at the story of, of God's faithfulness through three different biblical stories, each representing God's faithfulness to us in spite of different aspects of our lives. So the theme of God's faithfulness has been the theme of my life. He has never left me nor deserted me, though I have given him every reason to do so. He has clung to me in spite of failures and in spite of my shortcomings, he is a great and merciful God. And with this idea in our minds, let us read together Lamentations three twenty-two through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Pray with me as we ask God's blessing on tonight. Father, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your steadfast love, and for your mercies. Lord God, we ask that you would help us to see clearly your word, to understand it. God, that it, you would speak through me. God, that I would not seek my own glory, but that we would seek the glory of your name tonight. That we would praise you and understand that you have been faithful to us every day, and you will be faithful to us every day of our lives. Help us to understand your word more and more each day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so as we start and we think about God's great faithfulness, I want to make sure that we're on the same page with what we understand faithfulness to be. And so before we do anything, I just want to give a dictionary definition of what the word faithfulness means. And it's someone that is lastingly loyal and trustworthy. Or another definition is the fact or quality of being true to one's word or commitments as to what one has pledged to do. And so when we think of God's faithfulness, we think that he is trustworthy, he is true, and he is loyal. He does not leave us nor forsake us. And so as we look in a bird's eye view at these two verses before we look at the different stories, uh, first we want to see how do we see God's faithfulness in these two verses here. And we see first and foremost that he is faithful to give us love and to give us mercy. His steadfast love never ceases. He is faithful with his love to us. He doesn't change his love based on our lives, but he is constant. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. He is faithful with his mercy to us. This is not a sometimes, every now and then kind of faithfulness, for that would not be faithful at all. But this is always and continual. His love is sure. His mercy is sure for those of us in Christ Jesus. And his faithfulness is great. And so when we think about that, what do we mean when we say great is your faithfulness? Well, we're not just saying that his faithfulness is really good. We're saying more than that when we say that. We're saying that God's faithfulness is abundant. 
There is plenty of it. It'll never be quenched, never run dry. He will never run out of faithfulness for us. God's faithfulness is full and overflowing. His faithfulness is given out in abundance, given out more and more day by day, moment by moment, and yet there is never less of it. His faithfulness is endless. We drink and we drink of God's faithfulness, and yet we set the glass down and it is still full. His faithfulness is great. And so how do we see God's great faithfulness throughout Scripture? First, I want us to look in Daniel chapter 3 and look at God's faithfulness despite our circumstances. And we'll see this through the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so before we open and begin reading in Daniel 3, I want to make sure that we're all caught up on the context of this story. And so this takes place right as Judah has been taken captive by Babylon. They had disobeyed God and rejected him and gone into sin, and because of their wickedness, God sent Babylon as his hand of judgment on the people of Israel. And so they were stripped from their homes, removed from the promised land, separated from God's temple, and taken to a foreign land as captives. And while in Babylon, many of the Jewish people forgot their heritage and forgot the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But there were some who did not forget their God, and some of those men were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in their day, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had built a golden statue and commanded that all people should worship and bow down to it when music was played throughout the land. And where we will pick up in the story is right as King Nebuchadnezzar has called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into his courts and commanded them to bow down because they have been refusing to bow down to this statue that he has built. And the king has given them a choice, bow down or be cast into the fiery furnace. They can choose to be faithful to King Nebuchadnezzar, reject their God, and potentially spare their lives. Or they can choose to be faithful to God, unfaithful to King Nebuchadnezzar, and be cast into the fiery furnace. These are pretty poor circumstances when we look at the, our lives. I would not want to be in this situation. And so as we begin reading, let's read verses 16 through 18 of Daniel chapter 3. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so we see here that these three men trusted in the faithfulness of God. They knew that they were servants of a God who does not forsake his people, but one who cares for his people. One who shuts the mouths of lions, as they surely knew the story of Daniel that happens just a couple chapters before this. They surely knew that he was cast into the lion's den, but yet God closed the mouth of the lions and was faithful to spare Daniel from the wrath of the king then. They knew that he was one who parts seas and establishes kingdoms to their ancestors, one who keeps his promises. They surely trusted the words of Deuteronomy 7, 9 that says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. They trusted that whether or not God chose to deliver them from the wrath of the king and to spare them from the furnace, that he was good and faithful and his purposes would come to pass. They understood that even if God allowed them to burn in the furnace, that God had not abandoned them because he had promised life and life abundant to those who trusted and hoped in the coming Savior. 
They trusted that obeying God with risk was better than turning away from God for what seemed like safety. They had deep faith in God's faithfulness to them, no matter how their situation played out. They trusted that God would be good to them even if their decisions ended up causing them to lose their life. They had deep faith, not necessarily faith that God would deliver them from harm, but faith that God is good. They trusted that God is better than even the world's best thing that it could offer them. And as we know in the rest of the story, God rescues them. He appears with them in the furnace, walks with them, comforts them, and proves he has authority over every situation. And so when we think about this story, oftentimes we think of this as a testament to these men's great faith and see it as an encouragement to have faith like these men and to live like them, which I think it is that. But even more than that, I think that it shows us the great faithfulness of our God to his people. And more than we see how great it is to cling tightly to Jesus, to cling tightly to God, we see how great it is that he clings tightly to us. A faithfulness that does not fade whether we are in exile or in the promised land. A faithfulness that does not fade whether governments affirm or persecute us. A faithfulness that does not fade whether we are in the king's palace or being cast into the fiery furnace. And so in rescuing these three men, God shows that he has power over any human plan to attack his people and to harm his church. He proves that he cares for us and that he will deliver us. But what he does not prove in this text is that he will always deliver us from worldly attack. No, that would be a deep, deep misunderstanding of God's faithfulness. Ultimately, God's great desire is for his own glory, and he will do what will bring him most glory, whether that means to choose to rescue from the furnace or choose to allow persecution to occur. We also know, but we also know that God protects and cares for his people. And so seeing God's desire for his glory and God's caring for his people Those are really easy to see how those go hand in hand in a story like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because he was glorified in protecting his people. It's easy to see that in a story like Daniel and the lion's den or stories like David and Goliath. But what about stories like those of Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and the the men on their team who were killed taking the gospel to the jungles of Ecuador? What about stories like that of Lottie Moon who was nearly starved to death trying to take the gospel, making sacrifices for the Chinese people? What about Paul or the disciples or people like Nabil Qureshi, who was a Muslim man who converted and spent his life proclaiming Christ to Muslims only to pass away from stomach cancer in his early 30s? Was God unfaithful to these men and women because he allowed them to suffer? I think we can see clearly in Scripture that it says emphatically no. For in 1 Peter 3.14, he assures that those who suffer for righteousness for righteousness' sake shall be blessed. And for in Romans 14, 8, Paul says, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And so this gives us assurance that God was faithful to these people even unto death. And how? How was he faithful to them? Well, first we know that he sympathized with them and he knew their every hurt. He knew their struggle. He knew the temptation to walk away when things got difficult. But we do not have a savior, a savior who is unable to sympathize with us, but one who is tempted and tried in every way like us and yet was without sin. One who knows pain and suffering and even death for his faithfulness to God the Father. But we also have a Savior that did not stay dead. He was not 
captured by the grave, but he rose bringing victory over death for all who believe in Jesus. And that is how he remains faithful to us and for those that give everything for his name. And God shows us in Romans 8, 17, that if we are to to suffer with him, then we will also be glorified with him. And that is a great promise. And he promises that the pains of this world will not even compare to the eternal weight of glory that we will experience with him forever. And so we know, for God told us it was so, that even when he chooses not to spare from the furnace, he is faithful in the long run. And so in every circumstance, whether God spares from the fire or God chooses to allow you to give everything for his glory, he is faithful. In life and death, in joy and sorrow, God is faithful to his people. And we see God's faithfulness even in some of these stories of suffering, like Jim Elliott, where after his death, God used the ministry of his wife to draw the people of Ecuador to himself. We see God's faithfulness in triumph, like in Daniel 3, using Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where Nebuchadnezzar then commands the people of Babylon to worship God as the most high God. And so we see God is faithful despite our circumstances. No matter how good or how bad, God is there with us. And so we see this, but we also know that God is not merely faithful to the strong who endure many hardships, but we also know that he's faithful to the feeble. And so we look next to God's faithfulness despite our doubt. And we turn to Exodus 2 and read verses 10 through 18 as we see what happens when the people of Israel come up to the Red Sea and think that there is no escape. So read with me starting in verse 10. It says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to his people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So we read this story, and the first thing that stands out is that the people of Israel had no faith in their God to deliver them. They saw the power of the Egyptian army and forgot the power of the Almighty. They began to complain and to doubt God's ability to save them in spite of the fact that he had already proven his might to them. This point could just as easily be called God's faithfulness despite our forgetfulness. For when we forget the glories that God has revealed to us already, we doubt his goodness and his ability to care for us. So the people of Israel had just seen God perform ten signs to soften Pharaoh's heart and to let their people go free. Miracle after miracle, with God finally sparing their children because of the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And yet they come to the Red Sea and believe God to be powerless how quickly they forgot the goodness of God. And how often is this not us, brothers and sisters? How quick are we to forget God's grace and mercy to us? How quick are we to forget the mighty things that he has done for us? How quick do we forget that he is faithful and works for the good of those who love him? You may be different than I am, but I must confess I am quick to forget God's mercies to me. 
I'm quick to forget all that he has done in my life. I'm quick to forget the fact that he drew me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I'm quick to turn to my own strength and to look to my surroundings and forget that God moves mountains and holds back seas and changes hearts. But that doesn't sound too comforting, does it? It may not sound like good news to report that over and over again we doubt, over and over again we complain, and over and over again we forget God's might. No, we, we want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the people that remember God's glories and stand tall for him in the midst of tribulation, but oftentimes we are not. And so where do we look for comfort? Well, we look for comfort in the rest of this story. What does God do for the Israelites? Well, he does just as he promised to Moses. He holds back the Red Sea and the Israelites walk through on dry ground. And then he brings judgment on the Egyptians as he crashes the waters over them. But why? Why would God bring blessing on such doubtful people? And so listen closely to the words of 2 Timothy 2.13 that says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so we see that even when we are faithful, God, faithless, God is faithful to us. And look, listen closely to the end. It says, for he cannot deny himself. It is God's very nature to be faithful to his people. So much so that it's not dependent on our faithfulness to him. So much so that when we fail to cling to him, he holds on to us. He does not lose any of his sheep, for he is a good and faithful shepherd that chases after those who wander. And this should give us a deep, deep assurance in our walk with Jesus because it is not dependent on how airtight our faith is or how much we can muscle ourselves to good works, but it is dependent wholly on his great love for us and his faithfulness to hold us fast. His steadfast love endures forever and his mercies never end. Don Carson, speaking on doubt and assurance, references the Exodus to prove an invaluable point. And in this analogy, he asks you to picture two Jews by the names of Smith and Brown, which he says are remarkably Jewish names, he knows. On the day of the Passover, having a discussion in the land of Goshen, Smith says to Brown, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? Brown says, God told us what to do. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb and daubed the doorpost, covered the lintel? Aren't you all packed and ready to go? Haven't you prepared the whole Passover meal to eat it with your family? Smith says, of course, I've, I've done that. I'm not stupid. But it's a little scary when you think of everything that's happened here, the flies and the rivers turning to blood, and now there's a threat of our firstborn being killed. It seems all right for you. You've got three sons, but I only have one, and I love my son, and the angel of death is passing through tonight. And I know what God says, and I've put the blood there, but I'll be happy when this night is over. Brown looks back at him and says, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. I have nothing to fear. Don Carson continues and says, The angel of death, death passed through that night, and he asked which one lost his son. The answer, of course, is neither, because death does not pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercise, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. The blood silences the accuser. He continues, what are we going to say to God when all the times come up that we have foolishly chosen to disgrace his name after being Christians the majority of our lives? I tried my best. I really didn't mean to. No, I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And so we do not overcome based on 
the intensity of our faith, so fickle are we, so quick to forget and to turn to ourselves. We do not overcome based on the intensity, but the object of our faith. And how comforting is that, brothers and sisters, that even though we doubt, the object of our faith is what saves us, not the strength of it. And so our deliverance is the same. We are, we are not delivered based on the intensity, but the object of our faith. We're not delivered based on our works, but based on God's grace. We're not delivered based on how well we can white-knuckle our own salvation, but based on God's faithfulness to cling tightly to us. We're not delivered based on our filthy rags that we call righteousness, but we're delivered by the blood of the Lamb. And this Passover example points us to a greater blood sacrifice that not only causes the angel of death to pass over for a night, but one that offers eternal life to all who believe. And he gives grace to those who stumble in doubt. He is faithful to those who trust in the blood of the Lamb. Even those that are feeble, even those that struggle, even those that doubt find deliverance in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we've seen in Daniel that God is faithful in every circumstance. And we've seen in Exodus that God is faithful even to those who struggle and to those who doubt. And lastly, we look at John chapter 21 And we see God's faithfulness despite our sinfulness. We look at the story of Jesus' restoration of Peter. And so turn with me to John chapter 21 and read with me in verses 15 through 19. This is right after the resurrection as Jesus seeks out and finds Peter in order to restore him after Peter denied Jesus three times on the day of his crucifixion. Jesus seeks him out and finds him. And in verse 15 it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, Follow me. So some people read this story of Jesus encountering people and think of it as harsh. I think Jesus' method was harsh, causing Peter to relive his sin of denying Christ three times by asking him over and over three times, do you love me? However, I think this is anything but harsh from Jesus. Jesus calls Peter to genuine repentance from his sins. And God's faithfulness to us despite our sinfulness is not his affirming our sin or even supposed to represent God as being neutral about our sin, but it's supposed to represent that God cares for us in spite of our sin. But scripture is incredibly clear that God hates sin, and scripture is incredibly clear that we do not continue sinning just so that grace may abound, because it brings pain to the sinner and brings separation from God outside of Jesus Christ. But while we do not see Jesus okaying Peter's sin, we do see his faithfulness to him in spite of his sin. 
So earlier in this chapter, Jesus reveals himself to Peter and the others through telling them to cast their nets on the other side. And when they do, they bring in a great haul of fish, just like the first day that Jesus called Peter to follow him. He also affirms Peter's initial calling by commissioning once again to follow me. And in doing this, he reaffirms the first calling of Peter and reminding him that just as he did then, now he needs the grace of Jesus. That he was never sufficient then to save himself, and he is not sufficient now to save himself. But the one way to find salvation, to find forgiveness, to find redemption, is through clinging to Jesus. And so this story is often referred to as the restoration of Peter, or the recommissioning of Peter. Both of which imply that Peter's sin of denying Christ had negative effects and brought about great shame and harmed his intimacy with Jesus for a time, maybe. But it did not cause Jesus to turn his back on Peter. It did not cause him to abandon Peter or to cast him off to never see him again. No, Jesus restored Peter. He sought Peter out. He pursued Peter even when Peter tried to simply cover his shame by restarting his life of fishing before he knew Jesus. And so you can imagine the shame that Peter felt. He turned his back on his master. The same man that had once proclaimed, you are the Christ almost as early as anyone merely to deny him when tribulation came. You can almost feel the hide-your-face mentality that Peter has in this chapter when he tries to just restart his life, go back to fishing, and not worry about following Jesus anymore. Many scholars even believe that, according to Jewish culture at the time, if you would walk around and ask the people in Jerusalem, which disciple was it that betrayed Jesus, they would answer you that it was Peter who betrayed Jesus, not Judas, as we often know it as. Because in that day, the greatest form of betrayal for a student was to deny his teacher. And so Peter brought about great shame into his life. He was known as one that rejected Jesus and left him hanging on the day that he needed him the most. And yet, how does Jesus respond to Peter? He finds him. He provides for him. Earlier in John chapter 21, he makes him breakfast. He communes with him. He restores him. And he recommissions him to the work of gospel ministry. And he does this with us as well. He does not leave us to rot in our sinfulness, but he cleanses us. He hates our sin, and so instead of just leaving it to soak in, he washes us white. He does the work of restoration that we could never do for ourselves. We could try to crawl out of the hole time and time again, but we could never get there. Instead, he comes to us and brings us out. Our tendency is like Peter is to run and try to hide and find a dark place that we can hide in, but the light of the world shines in the darkness and he does not allow our shame to cover us. We turn to shame, but he takes our guilt upon himself. He is faithful to cleanse us of all of our sin if we will simply let him. And so church, I want to say let us rejoice together that the God who is faithful in these people's lives is the same God that is faithful to us today. The same God that never leaves us nor forsakes us. The same God that has made himself available to us through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. The God who has torn down the dividing wall of hostility, that has broken the veil of separation, that we may know him. But much like the Israelites in the Exodus, if our faith is in anything other than the blood of the Lamb, we have missed it. And we of all people are in need of being delivered. We're in need of being rescued. 
But what we need to be rescued from is more dangerous than a fiery furnace, more dangerous than a lion's den, more dangerous than the Egyptians hunting after the Israelites. But like Peter, we need to be rescued from our sin. Our sin that separates us from intimacy with God the Father. Our sin which squeezes out every bit of life that we have left in us. Our sin that ultimately does not only plague our lives here on earth, but if left in it without a Savior, will cause us to be separated from God forever. We need to be spared from the wrath of God that each one of us deserves because of the evil in our hearts. We are entangled on a road to destruction, and we need to be delivered. But praise the Lord, we have a deliverer. We have a deliverer, and his name is Jesus. Faith in Jesus as the payment for our sins is the way to be rescued. The way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. No matter how earnest or sincere or intense our faith is in anything else, it will never save us. An ever-tight, firm, unbreakable faith in anything other than the blood of the Lamb will fail. However, even faith like a mustard seed in Jesus saves and grows into a sturdy tree when watered with the living water. So the object of our faith must be Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection from the grave. And if that's true for you, if you've trusted in Jesus, then you can be assured you have been delivered. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were spared from the fiery furnace, you will be spared from the wrath of God on the last day. And for those of you that it's not true for, if you haven't trusted in Jesus to cleanse you from your sins, to be your substitute from the wrath of God, then let me tell you, you can trust in him today. He will save you today if you repent if you turn away from your sins, leave them in your past, and you walk with Jesus as your Lord today. Start a relationship with the faithful God that has been proclaimed to you today. One that will never leave you, but one that will hold tightly to you. And if you trust in him, he will always be faithful to you. He will never leave you. In your difficult circumstances, in your doubt, in your sin, and even unto death, he is faithful for he has promised to us that the sting of death is no more, for Christ has conquered death in his resurrection and has assured to us that we will be resurrected with him again to life everlasting. Brothers and sisters, the difficulties and the pains of this world will never have the last word, for we have a faithful God who promises to us that he does all things for the good of those who love him, and more than that, we have a God who delivers on his promises. And so when your circumstances are out of control, look around you and seek to understand where God is being faithful to you, for he has not stopped. When, you can, when it's all blurry, when it's all hazy, when everything seems to be spinning and you just can't catch up to life, know that God is being faithful to you, for he has never not been. And this is not to minimize your struggles or your pains or your circumstances, for they can be difficult and blinding. But God gives eyes and sight to the blind and lets them see his goodness. And in your doubt, when you begin to think that God is not able, that he has lost his power, maybe that he won't be faithful this time, as instructed in Psalm 77, remember the deeds of the Lord, remember his wonders of old. Look back and see throughout your life all the times that God has been faithful to you when you didn't think he would be, that God has showed up and delivered for you when you did not think he could, where he has revealed himself to you. And remember that that is the same God who is faithful to you today. 
and in your sin run to Jesus, for there is mercy and grace at his feet. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so when we think about that, Adam is going to come and lead us in a closing song, the praise team. We're going to have pastors at the head of these aisles if you feel like you need to come and talk to someone about what it means to follow Jesus. Knowing that there is a God who wants to know you. That there is a God who has given his son for you. That he will be faithful to you every day of your life if you will trust in him. And so we commission you, come today. Come, let us pray with you. Come, let us show you how to follow Jesus and to be saved from your sins. Lord God, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you will be honored and glorified. God, we pray that we will walk from here in light of your word, more like Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.